All right, so when we were dismissing, I forgot to mention that the youth should be coming in first. But I think it would be great if we could all jump front about four benches here. So if we could kind of try to move towards the front, I think that would be beneficial. Now, while you're doing that, I do have a couple announcements. Um, there will be an offering, and this is in addition to the, uh, the offerings that we would be holding for everybody. There will be a special offering on Thursday evening for our speakers, and it will get divided up between um, the five or four evenings that we would have. So there will be a special offering for our, for our guest speakers on Thursday evening. Also, there will be a panel discussion on Thursday evening. And um, so I, we're, it's kind of the same as last year. We'd like for you guys to think of questions um, that you have during the four evenings of speakers. And then please hand them in to us. And as soon as you get them to us, I'm going to try to give them to the panel, panel panelists uh, right away so they can start thinking about those um, before Thursday evening. So please give us your questions as soon as you can. Um, the panelists that we have now, uh, we still are getting another panelist, but we have John Esch, Cliff Stolzfus, and Ben A. Stolzfus are the three panelists that we have so far. Uh, we will be getting one more as well. Um, Mark Anthony is here this evening to speak. Um, he is going to be speaking on stewardship. He works for AF and um, helps out a lot with their finance, family finance seminars. So let's give him our attention. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be here with you all this evening um, let's see here let's see if this thing will work maybe uh, Mr. Cliff back there Am I hitting the wrong button? Am I hitting the wrong button? AV? Oh, there we go. I just had to say something to you. So I am Mark Anthony Peachy from McVeightown, Pennsylvania. I thought maybe I'd just uh, tell you who Shirley and I are, because I know sometimes when you get into settings, especially people over 50 like to know who you are, and they try to figure out all night who you are, and so we'll just get that over with. That way, you don't have to think about that um, while I'm speaking. Uh, some of you would know my father, Earl Peachy, Earl and Edna Peachy. That's my mom and dad. Um, and my wife, Shirley. Shirley used to be Byler. She's a lookalike to Maryland up here. Um, <laughs> she just, something was said today again about that. Uh, they are not related that we know of by blood, but they are sisters in Christ. And uh, we do not have any living children, uh, so we do a lot of life together. We enjoy our lives together. Um, but even in uh, preparing for this topic tonight, uh, I was reminded again how uh, what God chooses for us 
it's what I have to steward. Um, so uh, maybe a little bit more on that later. We live in McVeightown, Pennsylvania, Belleville, Pennsylvania. Um, and I work for Anabaptist Foundation. That's my full-time job. One of my bosses is here tonight. Uh, one of your Ben sits on the board there. So when you're in a nonprofit, uh, the board is your boss a couple levels up. So I try to do what he says. No. <laughs> um, but stewardship living. I don't know what you think about when you think about stewardship living. Uh, the word steward is not used that much anymore in our vocabulary, uh, but it is, it is at times, um, we think of a stewardess on an airplane. Uh, there are other places where stewards are used, but it is a word that's not used a lot. And I should also say, what I'm sharing tonight, so I speak at the Young Family Finance Seminars that AF does, that some of them we do uh, uh, what we call our Young Family Finance Seminar, and then we also have a budgeting seminar. And so this material, some of it is taken from that. So if you would come to one of those seminars, you would uh, see a lot of uh, similarity there. Uh, but learning and embracing a biblical stewardship, a biblical concept of, concept of stewardship provides a basis for spiritual stability, which includes, but is not limited to financial stability. Finances are important, but money is the least important of things in life. When we think stewardship, we often think of, we think of money, you know, stewarding our money. But, um, so, so what is a steward? In the uh, American College Dictionary, the 1968 edition, this is what it says. Uh, one of the definitions is one who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as an agent of another or of others. One who has the charge of the household of another, providing for the table, the direction of servants, etc. And the fourth one there, a ship's officer who keeps the stores and arranges for the table. Now every one of these uh, aspects of uh, stewardship include the idea of serving others. Uh, nowhere in this definition is the idea of ownership. It's all about doing it for someone else. Um, if you, the last one there, uh, no, actually one more. Any attendant on a ship who waits on a passenger Today, we would think of when we go on a plane, you know, there's a steward, there's a stewardess, they take care of us. In the old days, before the time of planes, when you had to go across the water by, by boat, um, it was not quite as easy get, as getting on the plane and, you know, flying somewhere. Today, when you fly somewhere, I think about maybe 18 hours, if you're taking a really long flight, is it probably about the max you're going to take? So if your steward or your stewardess forgot something, the food, you know, it's not that big of a deal. 
most of us would survive for 18 hours without food. Actually, we'd survive longer than that. Back in the old day, when they went by ship, the steward, um, uh, the ship's officer who kept the stores and arranged for the tables, uh, he was responsible, the steward was responsible to make sure that there were enough of provisions for the journey. And I don't know how long it took to get across the water, but if you were going to be on a ship, you wanted to have a good steward in case you ran into problems and your, you know, your, your voyage took another, an extra week or two because of bad weather. Uh, you wanted to have a good steward that had planned out and had rationed. That's what the steward did. Um, when you got on the ship the first night and he got out the Moose Tracks ice cream, he said you can only have one scoop tonight because there needs to be some for, you know, tomorrow night and the next night. That's what the steward did. Now, the steward, um, it was not his ship. He didn't own that ship. He was simply doing it for the owner of the ship, the people that he was working for. And that is how we are. We are stewards before God. And these concepts of steward work well with our understanding of biblical stewardship. We know that God owns everything. God uses people to manage and administer his things. Different people are given different specific responsibilities. The assignment of things is intended to meet the needs of the steward and to care for others. Now, sometimes when I teach this um, in the Young Family Finance Seminar, I try to think, so how can I connect people to it? Like, we just don't use steward that much anymore. And so I think of the word slave. And so I've been using that some and saying, you know, a, uh, a steward is sort of like a slave. Well, as I was studying for this, I'm like, uh, you know what, I'm not quite correct on that. There are aspects that, that are the same of a steward and a slave, but the difference between a slave and a steward, um, a slave does what his master tells him. A slave is like a robot. Now, you can have a rebellious slave, sure. But uh, when the master says, uh, you know, go cut my grass, he goes and cuts the grass. When he says, you know, go to town and get groceries, he goes to town and gets groceries. That's what the slave does. He doesn't really think for himself. He just does what he's told to do. In contrast, a steward makes decisions himself in carrying out what he thinks his master wants. So he thinks about what does my master want me to do, and then he does it. The, the master is not telling him every day, uh, today you're going to mow grass, today you're going to go to town, today you're going to uh, um, plow the field. The difference between a good and a bad steward is, the good steward attempts to know how his master thinks and is more concerned in what is good for his master than for himself. So it's not about the steward, it's about, it's about his master. In contrast, the bad steward lives selfishly and does whatever feels good to him. He is actually a slave to the devil. He has only deceived himself in thinking he is living for himself while in reality he is living 
for the devil, and that's bringing it into the spiritual realm. Uh, we are, we are all stewards. So how's a steward supposed to know what his master wants? Well, um, Wednesday night, I believe it is, when Richie will be here. And Richie's my boss. I tell people Richie's my boss. And um, I say sometimes I try to get inside his head <laughs> because I'm trying to figure out how Richie thinks and what he wants me to do. And Richie is not at my house in McVeightown every day. I think he's come to visit me twice since, since I worked for AF in three years' time. And we also are together sometimes, but uh, I try to do what he wants me to do, but how do I know what he wants me to do? Because he's not there telling me every day, and I try to get inside his head <laughs> to figure out how he thinks so I know what to do. In the spiritual sense, uh, one of the ways for us to do that as a steward of what God has given us is spending time in his word. You have to spend time with the master if you're going to know uh, what your master wants of you. There are some accounts in the Bible about stewards and I, in my opinion one of the best ones is Joseph. So back in uh, Genesis 39 um, it talks about Joseph when he went down to uh, when he was taken as a slave down to Egypt. And he goes to Potiphar's house and he would, let me just look that up here. He was, he was in charge of everything. The, the, the whole thing, it says that uh, Potiphar, um, And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that, he, made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house and all that he had he put into his hand. Um, and in verse 6, And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not aught he had save the bread which he did eat. That's all his master knew about. He just knew that when lunchtime came around, there was going to be food for, for the master to eat. Uh, I don't know if you have any employees. Uh, I don't know how many of y'all are employers, but I don't know how, how many of you would actually trust an employee of yours to everything. All you care about is that when the, or all you know is that when it's lunchtime, there's food on the table. Um, and Joseph was in a situation he found himself in a situation later where Potiphar's wife came and said you know lie with me and I think the reason Joseph was able to resist is because he realized that he was a steward and he was a steward of other man's things and he knew what his master would want. He knew his master would not want him uh, to do that with his wife. So he was able to resist. If he had just thought of himself as, you know, I'm just a slave here, uh, my, my family's back home, that nobody knows me, nobody knows about me, everybody's forgotten me, um, he would have probably fallen because 
he'd have said, what's the point anyway? But he was, uh, he was willing to actually do what his master wanted him to. Also in, in Genesis 24, there's another account, and this account um, is about Abraham when he told his eldest servant to go and find a wife for his son. Now, how would you like that? So, so I know Ben at one time had a company, and I think maybe Doug now has that company. I don't know, I don't know how comfortable Doug would have been if Ben would have said to his top employee, look, it's time Doug gets married. Um, I really want you to go and find him a wife. You would have been okay with that, Doug? Not a chance. <laughs> you know your dad cares about you. Maybe not the top employee. I know things are employee. The things are a little different today than they were back then. I, I get that. But we like to say, well, it would have been different enough back there that we could have trusted, you know. It was just different enough that we would have known that it could have worked out. Yeah, the culture was different. But that servant went. And he did what his master wanted him to do. He didn't, he told him, he said, in verse 3, I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites of whom I, among whom I'm, I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And that's what this servant did. I mean, like, he didn't have the Holy Spirit back then. <laughs> you know, now we would say, yeah, well, the Holy Spirit will guide you. I mean, Doug would have, in human reasoning, Doug would have had a better chance of getting a good wife than this man almost because how was this man supposed to, I mean, where do you go find these people? I don't, you know, they couldn't get on 322 and buzz to the next town where there's a, hopefully there's a lady there. Uh, but Abraham trusted his servant because his servant looked at him um, he knew that Abraham was his master and, and he wanted to please him as a good steward and we say that would be taking the terrible risk but you know God has actually taken a much bigger risk on us he really has God is not here um, in bodily form when you get up tomorrow morning, you don't say, okay, God, um, you know, or God doesn't tell you, okay, you know, let's mow the grass today. Let's make sure you, make sure you feed your children. Make sure you have devotions with your children. Make sure you, uh, you know, treat your employees right or whatever it is. He doesn't tell you those things. But he... He wants us to know him enough to know what he wants. The risk he took with us is just, it's just far greater than what uh, Abraham did with his servant. So we know that it all belongs to God. 
we've, we've known that all our lives. We, we've grown up with that, we, and, and sometimes it sort of becomes uh, old hat. We just, we just know that's the way it is, but we don't really stop and think about it. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Deuteronomy 10, 14, Behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all that is therein. 1 Chronicles 29, 14, For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Everything is God's. We know that already. But sometimes we don't live like it's God's we live like it's like it's our own so if we are stewards what are we stewards of um, what does God have a steward well he has a steward his word he has a steward our families friends church brotherhoods he has a steward our life health sound minds God-given abilities and lastly, he's given us the stewardship of money and things. While the management of money and possessions are a part of stewardship, it is a serious mistake to limit our concept of stewardship to material things. Stewardship involves our responsibility for the gifts of God's word, a godly heritage in families and church, our physical health, mental abilities, our talents and skills. Money and tools are just Money and things are just tools in the God-man relationship. God wants to use us to help build his kingdom. And at times we get this idea that how we steward money and things, the last thing, has no effect. Um, there's no correlation between that and the rest of it. I'd like to suggest how we steward our finances actually does or our money and things, it has a direct effect on the rest of our lives. Luke 16, 11 says this. If ye therefore have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you to your trust the true riches? Since I've been teaching these seminars, I mull over that verse a lot. If we're not faithful with the money and things, how would God entrust us with with the riches, the true riches of His Word? Are we faithful in uh, stewarding what God has given us? Now, some stewardship attitudes. So sometimes, maybe we don't know, okay, am I a steward, am I not? Like, do I think as a steward? Um, here can be a self-test for you. In today's society, uh, we think of ourselves as owners. Anybody here an owner? Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a trick question. Yeah, we own our car. Uh, we all know that. If somebody steals your car tonight, um, are you okay with that? Probably not. Um, yeah, but here's, here's a self-test for you. So a steward, 
He lives a life of contentment where an owner is covetous. That's the, that's the attitude of the owner. He's covetous. A steward lives a life of thanksgiving. The owner is always complaining or complains a lot. A steward lives in moderation and an owner lives in ex excess. He always wants more. He's never satisfied. Um, there's just no, there, there's no, there's nothing that will fill it up because he wants more, he wants more. A steward lives with humility and owner's proud. See what I did? See that big farm? See, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and a steward cares more about brotherhood than he does about, than, than, than his own independence. And sometimes that's where the rubber meets the road. Um, we're okay being good stewards of our money, of those things, but are we okay, uh, or do we care more about the brotherhood than we do about our own independence? Sometimes we get a little frustrated when brotherhood gets in the way of what we want to do. At least that happens where I live. So I don't know which attitude best describes you. Hopefully it is the steward attitude. The steward says, everything I have is a gift from God. And the owner says, everything I have is mine and I deserve it because I earned it. When I think of this, I think about, so as a, as a steward, the steward lives this way. The owner lives this way. He clenches his hand, his fist, to make sure nothing gets away from him. But the owner goes like this and says, you know, it, it, it's, it's God's. Stewarding what is mine to steward. So this, this slide actually comes out of our budgeting seminar. And where we're coming from in the budgeting seminar is uh, when you budget, uh, every, every pie there is a month's income. You can, you can see that there. Pies are different sizes, but they're all a whole. Your month's income equals one whole pie. Your pie is not the same as others, but it's the one you steward. And we say if, if, let's say the middle one is your pie, depending how you budget your money or don't budget your money, um, there's no independent financial decision. You only have so much money, and so when you make a decision to purchase this, it means there's that much less pie. So, but, so think of yourself as this is your month's income. So we, Amos and Mandy, if you, if you see our books at all, Amos and Mandy are the names that we use uh, for, for the, the couple. They're the little children in school, or actually maybe prior to, I think they were in school. Uh, and they're also in a book that Gary Miller wrote for us, um, a young married couple. So that's just our couple. So we, I guess we're in the middle of the road there. So Amos and Mandy's pie there. But that's what they have to steward. Now, I don't know when you look at this, 
do your eyes naturally go to the, the bigger one? Do they go to the smaller one? Doesn't really matter. What do you, you know, what do you think when you um, think about your own, your own pie? When I was growing up, and we'd be sitting around the table, uh, my dad tried to keep order. I think he did a pretty good job. And uh, one of the things I caught when we're sitting around the table and we start to fuss, and we'd say, you know, he's not eating his green beans. You know what? Dad didn't worry about that. You know what Dad said? He'd say, watch your own plate. Watch the Andaluca, you know. And we learned that, you know, you can't complain about Jason's plate because um, I'm supposed to watch my own plate. Well, we so often have this attitude. Maybe, maybe we find ourselves, maybe we find ourselves in one of these. Um, or, or maybe we find ourselves here. Which way do you look? If this is your month's income, do you look this way and aspire to that? Or do you look this way and aspire to that? It's just almost always people are looking this way and, and they become discontent when they do that. But you are only required to steward what God has given you. And we get in trouble when we start looking at what other people are called to steward. And maybe we think, oh, they're not doing a good enough job or, you know, I mean, if I'm here and somebody else is over here, you know, if I'd be there, you wouldn't believe how much money I'd give away, right? I'd give so much money away if I had that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you, actually, I probably tend to think you wouldn't give that money away if you're not giving it away here. Now, what if you find yourself in this situation or this situation, what should you be doing? Maybe. There's a family in your church that has Jonas and, Sa Jonas and Sarah's pie. Maybe they have lots of bills. They're always having medical bills. I, I, don't, I don't know your church, so I'm safe speaking, I think. Um, you know, there are, in churches it's often, you know, you have the family that, if there's going to be a broken leg, it's probably going to be in that family. Um, there's just going to be this and that and the next thing. Uh, if, if you're one of these, you know, maybe God is telling you, look over here. See what you can do to help. But especially when we're over here, we should not be looking over there and, and comparing ourselves with those people. We will become frustrated, and it's not, it's not pleasing to God. I'm going to look here a little bit at... God's nature. God says, um, or in, in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So that's God's nature. God has a giving nature. So who's your master? It's God, right? So you want to be like your master? Do you have a giving nature? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So a test of our love can be whether we give.
Giving is not so much a matter of money, but it is a matter of the heart. You know, I, in the, the line of work I do, you know, I sometimes have people ask, well, you know, how much should you give or, you know, the whole tithing issue, like, do you have to give 10% or, I actually think that's the wrong question. Um, you need to give what God asks of you. And sometimes people ask those questions because they want an answer so they can get an out. They don't want to have to do the hard things of knowing their master. They don't want to spend time with, they don't want to take the time to spend time with him. Um, so if they can get an answer from somebody, well, then so-and-so said, and so it must be that's the way it is. Um, instead of actually attempting to get inside your master's head. And, 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 and God has actually made it very nice for us in giving us his word. I mean, he tells us what he wants of us. But do we spend time? Do we spend time there? Now, we're going to take just a couple minute break here. And then we're going to look at giving, um, stewardship giving. So you can stand up, um, turn around, shake your neighbor's hand, sit back down shortly, and we will keep going here. Okay, you can go ahead and take your seats again. So, does stewardship apply to our giving? You know, God doesn't need our resources, but we need the exercise, we need the exercise and discipline of giving. Giving actually is an act of worship. So this morning when you took the offering, I don't know if you think about it, 
Um, is that just doing the? Is that just doing church business? Or is your offering time actually a part of your worship? I really think if it's not a part of your worship, you need to make it a part of your worship. It's not just you're singing a song and putting that 20 in that, you know, I thought I could do without for next week. No, giving, giving is an act of worship. We partner with God. God uses us and our money to accomplish his work, not my work, his work. Sometimes in our giving we get a little, uh, it becomes, in our giving we want to do our work. We want to do our agenda um, instead of God's. We gladly return a portion of our goods in recognition that it really is all his. It is all God's to start with. So if we're giving, how should we give? Well, you give voluntarily. Free will offerings are not like paying taxes. This morning, I'm assuming that's not the way it is here. I mean, the your deacon or whoever, he didn't look to see how big that check was from uh, Mark. I know your name, right? You're Mark. Yeah. He didn't look at Mark's check and say, uh, come on, Mark. I think you could have given another 50 bucks. No. It's free will. It's not, it's not like a tax. Taxes, if you don't pay your taxes, um, there is threat of penalty. If you ever happen to miss paying your property taxes, um, you know what happens. There's this thing that comes in the mail, and, and then if it doesn't happen fast enough, then, you know, I think it gets into the paper. You don't want that to happen. Um, giving has no threats, but the promise of a blessing. Give cheerfully. Attitudes matter even in giving. Stingy and grouchy go together. Did you ever notice that? Um, somebody that is really giving, they're just not stingy and they're not grouchy. They just, it just, something, it, it just is anti, stingy and grouchy are anti-giving. Whoops. Generous and cheerful go together. God loves a cheerful giver. Give anonymously. There's a reward for secret giving. Um, in my work with AF, I work with uh, the donor advised fund piece of it, and I have been blessed and convicted that I think in our circles, in our beachy circles, um, we've, we've lost something that I think the old orders actually can teach us and that is the anonymous piece. Some of them are very strong on anonymous. And that is, um, I think it's a good thing. One man, before he found us, um, he didn't know how to get the money to the church district where he wanted it to go to to help with situations. So he would call up a driver and he would take cash stick it in an envelope. I don't know if he told the driver what it was. I don't know. He would just tell the driver, go to such and such a place, give this to such and such a person, and that was the end of the story. That's the way he knew how to do it. But he was so determined to give it anonymously that he was actually willing to risk that money being lost uh, because he didn't want um, his name attached to it. 
There is a reward for secret giving. I hope none of your names are ever on the side of a building. If you put an addition onto this church or onto your school, I hope there's not a plaque that says, you know, Joe Lapp's uh, Auditorium or Jim. No, you, if, if that's what you're doing, I guess that's okay, but you've got your reward. I, I don't think there's any reward um, in heaven for that. Give systematically. Uh, if you don't give systematically, you probably won't give as much as you think you're giving. Give proportionally. Those who have more should give more. And give purposefully. Careful thought and prayer about giving. Don't give as an emotional reaction. Um, there are so many good stories out there of people that need help. Um, and even some of our um, Anabaptist ministries have figured out how to play on people's emotions. And they, they yeah, I'm not saying it's not good to put the need out there, but you should not give from an emotional standpoint. Uh, you need to make a rational decision. And if you're married, you as a couple make your decisions together. Give responsibly, responsibly. Be careful where and who you give to. Only give to those you trust and know. Uh, yeah, research the charity before you just give to them. I mean, okay, so you, are there any needs in Lancaster City? Are there needs in Lancaster City? Yeah, you would all agree there's needs there? So I don't think there's any of you that would go to Lancaster City and say, oh, well, there's a corner with about, you know, five men there and a couple ladies, and looks like they're needy, so you stop there and you write them a check for $5,000. Yeah, you wouldn't do that or give them cash. <laughs> um, sometimes it almost feels like people do that with charities. They just think, oh, this must be something good. It looks good, so they, so they give to them. And I would confess that before I worked for AF, I didn't know there was that much to to research in charities, but um, the one place that we don't give to through the foundation is Doctors Beyond Borders. Great organization, right? Doctors Beyond Borders or Without Borders, Without Borders. Um, they go into countries and they do all kinds of stuff. Um, help people. Uh, they, I mean, it's humanitarian and it's also doctor stuff. Like, yeah. They do a lot of good things. Uh, I would say 90% of what they do is excellent. So why don't we give? Well, we discovered uh, through some research that if you give to doctors uh, without borders, I'm not sure what the percentage, this was actually before my time, but a percentage of that, every dollar you give goes to help with abortions. Okay. None of us wants to give to help with abortions, do we? And we actually push them on it. It actually, my understanding is they went to their board level. At first they, we asked, so can we give a restricted gift? Saying for, you know, it goes for such and such a program and it, you know, it will not be used for abortion. And they said, yeah, that can work. But then they, they must have taken it to their board level and their board said, no, no, because they, that's part of what they do. So if you give to them, you're actually aiding in the work of abortion. Um, you need to research your charities before you just, 
before you just give to them. Hopefully our Anabaptist charities are not involved with anything like that. So hopefully that's safe to give to. But do your research. Uh, there's, another, there's another organization right now that has learned. It's a Seventh-day Adventist organization. And they have learned how to tap into the Anabaptist world. And they have lots of Anabaptist people that are... Um, they get together and put these packages together for prisons. Wonderful thing, right? Um, I, I think they're probably doing a lot of good. But when they give these care packages, um, if you send them a used Bible, they will put that used Bible in. That they're happy for anybody's used Bible, and they'll put that in. But the Seventh-day Adventist organization donates a lot of Bibles. So they give Bible, their new Bibles they give are often the ones with E.G. White um, commentary. Seventh-day Adventists, not that bad, are they? You know, just maybe not a literal hell. Um, is that what we want to teach people? Uh, so do research. Sometimes it looks good, and sometimes it even comes into the magazines that we think, if it's in there, that's probably okay. But uh, do your research. Another thing in giving responsibly, um, I had someone in Holmes County tell me about a situation in, in, uh, here in Lancaster, not too far from you all. Uh, somebody, I think it was, uh, it was in the Amish district. Some fellow had had an accident. It was a bad accident. And the fellow told me, look, I want to help with this situation. And uh, I said, well, let me call the deacon. Let me ask him, like, what's the, you know, does he need help? He said, oh, it was 799000 Like, he, they need help. So I want to send him $7,500. I said, well, can I please call the deacon first? Because I really want to find out, you know, if there is a need um, in their church. So I called the deacon, and I said who I was, and I said, do you have any needs in your church, medical needs in your church? And he said... No, not that he can think of. Well, then I was looking at my stuff and like, did I call the right number? And and I said, okay. I said, I thought that you had you had a medical bill. He said, oh yeah, 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 we did, we did. But uh, he's out of the hospital. We negotiated with the negotiated with the hospital. Um, we got the bill way down. It's almost, I mean, it's, the bill is paid. Getting a little bit of rehab stuff in yet. But we, have, we actually have twenty-five dollars to $30,000 sitting here that's designated for this. And, you know, we don't even know if it'll take that much. Plus, we just had communion. And so they had their alms offering. And he hadn't got to counting that yet. So he figured that'd be another probably 20000 So you could have added to the, the pile that um, wasn't needed. So do research. Give, give responsi responsibly. Give sacrificially. The greatest example giving is Jesus who gave his life. Second greatest example is the poor widow who gave all her living. Give ethically. Obey the laws of the land when giving. Uh, this is one that uh, it's a little interesting sometimes. Our government is very nice to us, 
They're quite generous in allowing us to take deductions for giving. Um, and the one reason they do this is because they believe that the church is better suited to take care of its people than any government program ever is going to be. That, that's one of the reasons they give. Uh, uh, you can get a receipt for your giving. But as a foundation worker, and this is actually one of the reasons also I wanted to call this deacon, as a foundation worker, the number one request that I turn down for when people want to give to something, they'll, they'll call me and they say, hey, I want to give it to uh, so-and-so for you know, Joe Yoder's hospital bill. Well, the IRS says if you're going to get a tax deductible receipt, you can't specify it's for Joe Yoder. You, you, can, you can give to the church, and the church can give to Joe Yoder, but you can't specify it for that. You're not allowed to earmark it. And we get asked about it so often <laughs> that we finally we came up with a earmarking gifts to private individuals through alms and deacons funds. We actually came up with a brochure so that we can give it to people. Um, it's easier than always explaining it all. But basically what it says, uh, you're welcome to give all day, every day, to Joe Yoder if you don't get a receipt for it. But if you're giving big amounts of money um, and you're getting a receipt for it, then uh, you, can't get a, you can't get a receipt and give it to the person uh, directly. If you, want, if you want to see one of these, I'd be happy to, uh, to share it with you. In a church setting, uh, sometimes people ask us in church settings, so, so how do we do this if we take an offering? So there was an offering today for, I forget who you took it up for today. Camp Andrews. So the church decided that you're going to do Camp Andrews. So maybe you were here today and you really care about Camp Andrews. Well, guess what? You can give a $10,000 check and, and you know get your receipt. That's not a problem because it was actually the church deciding. Sure, you decided how much to give, but you lost control of that money once it went into the offering. Uh, maybe you have medical bills in your, in your church and people will, what we encourage people to do is if you have a medical bill um, in your alms fund, do a, do a helping fund or whatever you want to call it where you keep X amount of dollars in that and when there's a need that ri arises you say we're going to be taking out of this fund um, to help with the situation in the church um, and then you can keep giving money for that fund but you don't want to say, you don't want to put on the memo line it's for Joe Yoder. Um, you just give it to the alms fund and if the deacon and the ministers decide that you know what widow Mary over here actually needs it more than Joe does you gave it where most needed you're giving to the church not to the individual you're about helping the church and the individuals are part of the church um, so this is one area where I find our people um, I don't know if it's intentional or if it's ignorance, but sometimes they fudge the lines on this one because um, they want to get their deduction. Mark, does your brochure contain definition of, of what ministers or the church can decide who to give to or not to give to? Is there any, is there any restrictions from the IRS in relation to that? I don't think so. So if the church deems a need is necessary, mm -hmm. Yeah. Regardless of 
if you use your, your normal mechanism for giving, I mean, to decide where to give to. The problem comes in when, when Floyd gives the deacon a check and says, I want it to go to Mark, and, but I want a receipt. Now, if, if Mark has a medical bill and you're taking it out of the alms fund, and everybody, everybody knows that ha is happening because, well, he's got the bill. So, um, obviously, we're not blind. I mean, we, we know what's happening, but our idea needs to be to help the church, not the individual. Um, so, yeah, the IRS, uh, they want people to give. Otherwise, they would not give us this deduction. Sometimes I think... I wish they wouldn't do that just because it can skew for people at times that should not be our number one reason for giving let me put it that way do you have more questions on that so give yourself God is more interested in you than in your money give out of a personal commitment to the Lord So what if God has blessed me with funds that I don't need immediately? How might he want me to steward them? You know, and he doesn't say a whole lot in his word about what to do with some of those funds. Investing, putting money to work, putting to work the funds not necessary for immediate need. Where should I allow my funds to work? The return of your funds is more important than the return on your funds. And this is especially true for young couples. So, some things to think about when placing an investment. Values. Do I know what my money, what work my money will be doing when it is invested? Depending where you're investing, um, you probably don't have a clue what's, what's happening to that money. Um, especially if you're out on the stock market. Um, there, I mean, you can know, but uh, you don't always know. Uh, do, you, do I feel good in my heart about the type of work my money is doing? Would I buy or use those things myself? Would I go to those places? How about time? How long will it, will it be until I can get my money back? I can't tie up my money longer than I don't need it. What about risk? How likely is it that I could lose part or all of my savings? Um, do I understand all of the things that could go wrong and cause me to lose my savings? And the rule of thumb is invest only in things you understand. Uh, there was a man in the community, I think he's dead and gone, he used his motto was keep your money between the Susquehanna and the Conestoga, where you can see it. Um, where you can watch it. If you cannot understand how an investment makes profit, you don't belong in that investment.
and our people, we have a glut of money right now. And this is a time that people seem to make some foolish decisions when it comes to these things. Whoops. There are people who are smarter than you who will offer advice. But remember, some of them are dishonest. And some of them just want more money in their pocket. Uh, so somebody asked me about things like uh, uh, cryptocurrency. You know, should we be invested in that? Well, what does your master want? That, that's my question. What, what is driving you to invest in that? Maybe you think you understand it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, I just tonight found this, and this is what, maybe this is why you are, it, my question would be, is this why you are into cryptocurrency? The cryptocurrency craze has minted a new generation of wealthy investors, some overnight. That's what happened to one Georgia man. Chris Williamson invested about $20 in a cryptocurrency called Rocket Bunny, and it did what bunnies do. It multiplied. He woke up one morning and looked at his phone to check his investment and found he was a trillionaire. Okay? I looked at it again, and I'm like, at that point, I fall out of my bed literally, and I run to my desk, and I'm log logging into Coinbase app and stuff, and I'm talking to my friends, got him on the phone, and I'm like, dude, you need to help me figure out how to sell this now. <laughs> Uh, William said he, Williamson said he attempted to move the cryptocurrency to another wallet, but it wasn't showing the same price. Then he contacted Coinbase, which replied with a short answer, acknowledging it was looking into the issue. He reached out to Rocket Bunny, but never heard back. I'm going to need to get someone to explain uh, what the world is going on. This is a tw uh, tweet. And then, then write me a check. I got a mega yacht shop shaped like a penguin on standby. Thank you. My concern with some of these things in, in our investments, are we actually trying to do a get-rich-quick thing? When we look at the core of it, what is the reason for where I am investing? I'm not saying you shouldn't be in stocks. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in cryptocurrency. I'm saying, why are you doing it? What is your motive? Um, Maybe this is not a fair comparison, but I don't, do any of y'all know what this is? Lottery ticket. I think it's pretty much the first time I've had lottery tickets in my hand. You didn't know I had a problem? Guess what? Since 1972, it's been $31 billion that have wanted to help our senior citizens through the PA lottery. That's not too far off from a billion dollars a year. That's yeah, come on. Why do people do this? Get rich quick. Sometimes I wonder if some of these other things are the Mennonite. Um, get rich quick. That's why we're in stocks. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning somebody if they're in stocks. I'm just saying you better know what you are doing. Um, whoops. See, that was uh, 
diversification uh, return. In current market, market conditions, what are reasonably expected returns? The rate of return on an investment is directly connected to the amount of risk. If an investment promises returns significantly higher than the current average return, it is a risky investment. The higher the return, the riskier the investment is. Liquidity, how easy is it to get my funds back whenever I need them? Is there any penalty for taking my funds out early if I need them? Diversification, are all my eggs in one basket? And who holds that basket? Inherit usefulness. If I was unable to liquidate this investment, could I use it? Could I use it myself or not at all? Does my investment produce a practical and useful good? Does my investment produce a practical and useful goods or services? Counsel. Have I asked for advice? Have I asked experienced and knowledgeable people for advice? Have I asked spiritually minded people who have earned my respect for advice? Have I prayed about it? And the thing with stocks, um, actually after I'd gotten the question, I was on my phone and I was like, oh yeah, there's a, you know, I could get five bucks free cryptocurrency. I think it was, I forget which one it was. Um, and you know what, I could do this all in my house. You'd never have to know it. Um, if you're not willing to have your leaders know where you are invested, then I say that's a red flag. Um, and what would your master want you to do? Giving with right motives and attitudes brings joy and blessings to the, both the giver and the receiver. Giving is an investment in heaven. You can't take your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's the best and most secure investment you can ever make. And in conclusion, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So at the end of life, when you meet your master, how will you have stewarded what he has given you? God bless you. I guess they move back or something. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, if you adults would all move back out of the front seven benches here.